Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney-adjacent movie marathon. Last week, when I was getting the episode ready on the Nutcracker Prince, I suddenly remembered that Jenna and I had done another movie earlier this year that was also trying to copy Disney style, and also from the early 90s, the Welsh-Hungarian animated film The Princess and the Goblin. I was originally not planning to have an episode this week, I'm leaving for vacation next week, and I was just going to take some time off, but then I figured this episode may not be Disney, but it was definitely capitalizing on their style and popularity during the early years of the Disney Renaissance, so I thought instead of taking the week off, I'd just give you another bonus. So I didn't realize that this was based on a book. Yes, uh, by George MacDonald, who uh, you might have also not realized he's a friend of Lewis Carroll. Oh, no, I did not realize that. Yes. That's interesting. It is interesting. And um, he had a daughter named Irene. She was one of Lewis Carroll's child friends, and he took pictures huh. of her. Interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting connection. It doesn't mean anything, but it is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So have you read the original book? I have. It's been a while. Um, and also a disclaimer, I don't believe George pronounced his daughter's name weirdly. I, As far as I know, it was Irene. For I some reason, the movie, <laughs> yeah, for some reason, the movie says Irene, um, which actually I love that pronunciation, but the, I just never see any evidence that it's supposed to be pronounced that way. So yeah, just I'd, make it clear. I wasn't sure, and I started, after I watched I started looking up reviews, and one thing that I read in somebody's that they were assuming that because this was, like, an Eastern European production, maybe they just thought that Irene was pronounced Irene, so I don't know. Well, here's the thing, it's actually, it, it's Hungarian, but it's also Welsh. Yeah. So, like, the Welsh would have known. Yeah, so that's it's- true. I don't know. I was just, it is interesting that they would pronounce it so differently. Yeah, that's kind of this thing about, a lot of things about this movie is that it just, uh, there's just not a lot of information about the production history on it. So there's going to be some parts where we just don't know why they chose to do that. Mm -hmm. Like why they chose to say Irene instead of Irene. Personally, I think Irene sounds more like whimsical and that maybe that's why. Yeah. But that, that would just be a theory. I couldn't say also, like, for instance, uh, another fun name, Tibbet, is in the book, the Goblin Prince, his name is Hair Lip, not Frog Lip. So that was another difference change they made, you know. So they, they certainly had opinions on changing the names of the characters for whatever reason. What, is Hair Lip another word for a cleft lip? Maybe that's why they changed it? I think it might be, yes. Hmm. So I'm... I'm assuming that the book is quite different than the movie because I saw a lot of reviews talking about how they left out this and that and the other thing. And I haven't read the book, so I don't know. And I actually watched this with Sarah 
and her older sister, they both have read the book, but it, they said it had been so long they couldn't really remember a whole lot of it. So they weren't able to tell me how much was from the book and what wasn't. Okay, well, the thing, it's all, disclaimer, it's also been a while for me, and I've only read it, like, once. And yes, there's, I don't know, there, there's changes, but also, like, it gets the gist of the book, too, if that makes sense. Um I don't think it's too wildly different. Like, it didn't strike me as too wildly different. But I think one of the biggest changes is that, like, the goblins are more antagonistic than they were in the book. Okay. But then again, they still are pretty antagonistic. So I, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's hard to say. Um, I more remember, like, for instance, Curdy gets really. Uh, there's more. There's more about honesty in the book. Like, the honesty is a theme. Irene gets really upset when her father doesn't believe her. Oh, no, not her father, Ludi, when her nursemaid doesn't believe her because mm-hmm. princess never lies. Then at some point, she tries to show Curdie her great-great-grandmother. And in mm-hmm. the movie, um, her great-great-grandmother's just not there when he, she tries to show him. But in the book, she is there. He can't see her because he doesn't believe in her. Mm-hmm. So he thinks he thinks Irene is lying and trying to make a fool of him. Because she's trying to she's trying to talk to her great grandmother, like why can't he see you? So it's um, there's more of a theme about like honesty, okay. which I don't think is in the movie really. But that's all I really remember. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, any major princess and the goblin fans. <laughs> I, I need to reread the book. It's been a bit. There's also a sequel which I haven't read. For for a second, I thought you meant a sequel to this movie, and I was like, "No, no." I I, I, I feel like the Wikipedia page would have said that. No, (laughs) no, the book has a sequel. It's called "The Princess and Curdie," I think. Okay. So, did you grow up with this movie? Yes, I did. Um, But you know, the funny thing is, so I was talking with my friend who grew up in the who lives in the UK. He's the only other person I know who we both grew up with this movie. And uh, when I when we first learned we both ripped this movie, he said, "I'm shocked that you know about it." You know, as an American, and mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, okay. So is it like what more well known in the UK?" And he goes, "No." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the only person I've met. <laughs> um, so it, it's not very well known in the UK either. Maybe it maybe it might be a little bit more well known in Wales. I don't know. I did find out in doing research for this that Wales, it, it, it's the first Welsh animated movie mm-hmm. from that country. So it's, uh, I didn't realize that. That's pretty big. Kind of sucks for them that it didn't do so great. <laughs> and then it's the 25th animated film from Hungary. And apparently it's also a co-production with Japan. And at first I assumed that it was, you know, because, uh, you know, at the time, Japan was a very common like place to get you know, like extra animation done yeah. that you couldn't afford to do uh, mostly like in-betweens. Yeah. Uh, but apparently when I looked up the company that's associated with them, I, I was expecting like an animation studio, but it was a tel- like a TV uh, channel. So it was, I don't know very much about that. So I'm like, like, Oh, maybe they had more involvement than I thought. Cause that seems like, I don't know. I was, ex- you know what I mean? I was just expecting it to be more of a animation studio as in, yeah. Oh, we're, we provided some of the, the work. Mm-hmm. Also, the the channel, the Welsh Connection was also a TV channel in Wales. As they says, produced by Welsh television star station S S4C, 
that stands for something in Welsh, but I'm not going to even gonna sit, try to say it because <laughs> I'll butcher it. Um, and the Cardiff-based Serial Studio, along with Hungary's Panolia, Pan, Panoia, and Japan's NHK. So it's it was quite an international production. And strangely, there's just not that much information on like how it was, became a thing, like who started it, why the other companies were interested, mm-hmm. you know, who did what. Which is strange, but I'm assuming that at least with Hungary, Pan, uh, Panonia was a film studio that did animation. So I thought, oh, okay, they probably did the animation. Uh, but then I read somewhere else that it was mostly done in Wales. So it's kind of, I don't know, there, there's also some conflicting information. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, I didn't find a whole lot of information when I looked. Yeah. So... I guess it, it's just a very obscure animated film because I don't think I had I either had not heard of it or I just heard the name when you suggested that we do this one. So I was not <laughs> familiar with it at all. Um, and I suggested it because it's not like a fantastic film. I'm not going to say it's um, somebody should watch it right now. But I think it's a very unique, like it's a very charming film in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for me as a child, it always gave me like this feeling like I was in a certain place, especially like the sound effects. I really love the sound effects. That sounds really strange. No, it's it's, like, I, I, I think yeah. I know what you mean. Cause it does have an interesting sound. Like even yeah, like, like the, the creatures, they just, yeah. they don't sound like you would expect normal creatures to sound. And then just like the Foley, like the Foley work. I think that's what it's called. Right. Sound. Um, yeah. Just like with the stones there's a lot of stones in this movie and involves mm-hmm. quite a lot of the underground. Um, and like every time they move a stone, it's like, mm, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> it sounds good. And <laughs> sorry. Yeah. It's, I'm going to be a bit weird. Um, and I don't know, just like certain things always hit me. Like as a kid, I, I w- would have loved to have a secret panel that went up to like a abandoned tower in my room. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or I would have loved a magic ring. I, I might have not loved, you know, trying to be kidnapped by gar- goblins. Maybe not that part. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I really like this film. I, I'm glad I grew up with it. So what was your opinion as someone who never saw this film before? It was fine. I think I expected <laughs> it. I think I went in expecting it to be worse than it was. Because, mm. I, like, I didn't read a whole lot of reviews, but I read enough to know that it wasn't very well liked. So I, I think I assumed it was going to be awful. But it wasn't. So I guess it helps to go in with low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think a lot of the, ref, uh, the film reviews, especially um, uh, the contemporary ones, uh, because uh, it came out in Hungary in 1991, the UK in 1992, and it didn't come out um, in the US until 1994, which is the same year as The Lion King. Yeah, I read so, that it like, had the misfortune yeah. of opening with The Lion King and that yeah. kind of killed it in the U.S. Though I, I'm going to be real, I I don't think it would have done well in the U.S. Regardless, I kind of don't think so either because we had other things that this was similar to that never went very far. So yeah, I think you know maybe it would have caught a little bit more interest by itself because I you know girls are into especially little girls are into like princesses and castles and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of fantasy elements that might have caught some attention. But um, it it would have never done that well ever. But with the way it was, its circumstances basically squashed it. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, there's actually something about Hemdale, the distributor Hemdale. They were so discouraged by the negative reviews, they actually started asking film critics to watch with their children and then ask their children what they thought. And <laughs> which, that is a way to get more positive reviews, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because it is a children's film, so I mean, it, they're, yes. they're not wrong, you know. And I, I do think... I do think this film would appeals more to children than it does adults, to be honest. Yes. When I was watching it, I was thinking that there was a lot in this that, not that it didn't make sense, but it's like fairy tale logic. Like, you just have to go with it. And yeah. kids can more easily just go with it than adults can. Yeah. And I think, because I remember my, I, that's why I don't remember how I got this movie, because my parents weren't really into it. They They didn't really see why I liked it. But it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's a kid's film. It, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it knows its audience. Unfortunately, it doesn't really try to appeal to adults. But I kind of like that it doesn't. But, uh, you know, that's just me having grown up with it. I think that's fine because not everything has to be for everyone. Like, I technically, I think that there aren't enough movies made for kids these days. They make a lot that are like family movies. And sometimes they don't work hard enough to make it actually for everyone. Like they put in either too much for adults or too much for kids. And then it ends up kind of not feeling like it's for anybody. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Princess and the Goblin, I feel like is definitely targeted at kids. I don't feel like they care about the adults. No, I don't. And I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also have people who argue like, oh, good children's films appeal to everyone. And it's like, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think some adults, I, I feel like as an adult, I could take pleasure in like what it's trying to do and its quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I don't. <laughs> okay. It's trash, but I like it. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's dull and it's boring for a lot of people. Cause I remember my friend and I were trying to show another friend and my other, our other friend just did not like it. We were like, oh, I, I guess you have to grow up with it. <laughs> That's kind of what I was thinking when I was watching. I was like, this seems like the kind of movie that if I'd had as a kid, I would have nostalgia for as an adult, and that would make me really like this. But since yeah. I didn't, I did find it kind of boring. Oh, I, but I, I expected that. But That's anyway, better than finding any... it awful, because I went in expecting <laughs> to find it awful, and I did not find it awful. It was just, it was okay. I think it, it, at least with other, like, kid-only movies, I think it fares rather well. Like, um, there's another movie I remember watching a lot as a kid was um, a really bad animated version of The Secret Garden. And um, I think I did a podcast on that, if it's the one I'm thinking of, because there is a... Is it, like, 90s? 94, I believe. And as far as I know, it's the only animated Secret Garden, so it's probably what we're thinking of the same thing. Yeah, and I try to watch that. I watched it a lot as a kid, and it's to the point where I didn't. I never had the live action Secret Garden. I only grew up with this animated version, and I try to watch it again as an adult. And I just it was like, "This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad." And I, I stopped watching it. So it's I don't know. So in, in that comparison, they're both movies for kids. Uh-huh. But I, personally, I would put Princess and the Goblin a little higher up than you know the that kind of for kid movie. But that's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am, I might be biased and I probably am. So <laughs> probably, but that's fine. 
Yeah. Do you have any notes? Any comments? Um, well, we could talk about the cast before we get into the movie itself, because I was going through the cast and I was like, don't know this person, don't know this person, don't know this person, until I got to the last one, Molly Sugden. I was like, that's Mrs. Slocum. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Who's that? I probably had a weird childhood, but I grew up watching <laughs> British comedies every Saturday night. Oh. And she was one of the stars of Are You Being Served? She was this middle-aged older woman who always had ridiculously giant colored hair. <laughs> like, the, the show is not a kid's show. Like, if an adult watches it, they would be like, why, why would a child be even into this? I don't know why I was into it. We always just watch British comedies. <laughs> and I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before or not, but whatever. Mm. We went to my, to my grandparents' house one night or one weekend, and we wanted to watch Britcoms because we always watch Britcoms. So we were watching Are You Being Served? And my grandpa <laughs> turned to my mom. He's like, you let them watch this show. This should be <laughs> rated R. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and watching it as an adult, I know what he's talking about because there's some, like, really inappropriate for kids content in that show. But it all went over my head as a kid. I had no idea what they were talking about. To be fair, I think a lot of British, cult, like, British media in general um they have a lot lower bar yes for that oh, kind of definitely. Thing. yeah but um, yeah, the, yeah. The, molly sugden was mrs slocum in that show and as a kid i loved that show and she's she's just kind of iconic in my head <laughs> well another cast member uh that i recognized was i might not say his name right uh roy kinnear uh he was the cheshire cat in the 1972 Alice. I thought that because after I saw that, I was like, well, I'll just go through everybody and see if I noticed anything in their IMDb page. When I got yeah. to him, like I didn't recognize him right away, but I started scrolling through and then I was like, oh, I recognize that and that. And I was like, Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland 1972. Well, Jenna's going to recognize him for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. Though it's, it's funny, though, because when I was reading the cast list, I was like, well, wait, he's in this. Who does he play? And it says month, and I'm like, who the heck is month? <laughs> and you know, the, it took me a while to realize it's just a random goblin that Grace yeah. he's dropping on. Yes. Apparently, that's his. That was his final screen role. So what? A, what a screen role to end on. There <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a couple people I read that it was their final role. Oh, that's not good. The Goblin Queen, also Peggy Mount. It was both of their final film role. Oh. Well, she did a good job. <laughs> she had a great voice. I didn't yeah. I didn't think I recognized her, but I again looking at her IMDb page, she was in Oliver, the old musical, and she did a couple oh, episodes of it. Doctor Who. So I guess I had seen her before, but it's been so long since I'd seen anything she was in that I didn't recognize her. Uh and then my friend wanted me to because I told my friend I was doing this one and he goes, You gotta mention Rick I don't know how to say his name, Rick, Rick Malayal for the Prince Froglip. He was like a punk singer. Uh, let's see. I was going to mention Froglip as well. Rick Mayall. Mayall, yeah. Apparently, he was approached to do Lion King, and I guess he didn't do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, d I didn't recognize him 
just by the name. But when I looked at his IMDb page, he was Mr. Toad in the version of The Wind mm. in the Willows that I grew up with. So Yeah, I, my friend mentioned that I, too. I, after I watched the movie, or started watching it, I heard his voice. I was like, yeah, I recognize his voice now. <laughs> well, I guess we can go through the movie. It did not take me very long to write down everything that happened because the <laughs> plot wasn't very the plot's very simple detailed <laughs> yeah but i did have notes as i went through because i just some things stood out to me all right hit me with it i watched it twice i watched it yesterday with my cousins and i watched it again today to, to make my notes so the second time i watched it through it started i was like oh yeah there's narration <laughs> the king narrated the beginning and the end and i i completely forgot and i didn't even realize it was the king until i watched this time because i remembered at the end of the last watch yesterday the when when the narration started up at the end i was like wait who's talking i don't remember narration in this movie (laughs) but it was the king he's talking about her being safe in the hands of her devoted nanny and that's Looty, played by Molly Sugden. Mm. And I thought it was funny because Looty seems to be just there for plot exposition. Yeah. <laughs> and I was watching it with with Sarah, and she, when Looty was talking at one point, Sarah starts quoting the great Muppet caper. It's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. <laughs> because she's she says things like oh she's a lovely girl really regal well she would be what with her being a princess and all (laughs) she's just talking to herself (laughs) yeah it's it's the stupidest self-dialogue i will yeah and i also thought it was interesting that ludi worries about strange things happening and then later she's told about a strange thing and she just thinks she's lying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like yeah she seems like the perfect person to be superstitious and terrified of goblins but when she's told about goblins she's like oh, there's no such thing what's interesting is i think in the book she's actually there with um irene when she sees the goblins they're both rescued by curdy hmm. but i don't remember if she like goes into not denial after it or yeah i'm not sure what goes on uh i remember she accuses irene of lying about her grandmother hmm well, this whole scene with, I, I keep wanting to say Irene, but it's Irene. <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene with her lost in the forest and all these creatures around her, it reminded me of Snow White, except there's actual danger here. In Snow White, it was her, mostly her imagination making her think that like a log was an alligator and a tree branch was an arm. Yeah. But it was it, this was like that, except there actually were horrifying creatures chasing after her. Yeah, I remember that. It does have a very similar vibe. Well, Irene is a lot like Snow White, actually, when you think about it. Like, kind of naive and innocent. I suppose, yeah. But, uh, yes, I, 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 uh, that's a good comparison. It is a lot like that scene. For some reason, I always preferred the princess and the goblin scene over the Snow White scene as a kid, though. Well, she gets saved by this boy named Curdy. Which is a strange name. <laughs> it is. <laughs> And he's singing this song, and this song comes up throughout the entire movie. Like it's the only song to... in the whole movie. Yes, whenever they need to sing a song, it's this song. Yeah. And like I said, I was watching with my cousins, and Sasha, I think, said that it was an '80s power ballad. 
it was like the medieval version of an 80s power ballad so then every time somebody started thinking singing i was like i was thinking to myself that they're saving themselves with an 80s power ballad uh and uh that, that's not a bad time <laughs> to associate it with because the movie would have been done in the late 80s yeah yeah so it probably kind of was yes yeah so Curdy explains everything that's going on. Apparently there's these goblins that live in the mountains and all these creatures where they're pets and they can only be driven away by singing. And for some reason, everybody in the village and like the mining village that they live in knows about the goblins, but nobody that lives in the castle knows about the goblins. Yeah. I feel like you would think that word would get around. <laughs> like it's, why don't um, even the guards know? I think at some point, I think in the, book don't quote me i think in the book it's kind of implied that they are like they're not supposed to know mm, and that's okay part, that would make more sense yeah that's part of why like for instance it's so important that arini is with ludi because the king doesn't want her to meet these goblins so it's oh so the king knows in the book i think the king knows in the book but i'm not 100 sure i can't remember that, that's the problem i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> But there is kind of like this willful willful ignorance coming on. So you could also say maybe it's like kind of a class difference. Mm-hmm. Like the people in the castle don't have to deal with the goblins, so they don't bother to notice. Whereas yeah. the miners obviously have to deal with them, so they, they of course notice. Yeah, that makes sense. So you think the miners would like bring it up at some point, like, hey, <laughs> it's like a lot of goblins are making it hard for us. And <laughs> yeah. everyone else they're trying to tell is like, I don't see any goblin. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, that's what I wondered. You would think word would get around. Like I, I would assume that there would be like a miner who is friends with a guard and the, and the miner would tell the guard and then the guard could tell the other guard. So I wouldn't think that nobody in the castle would know, but, but that, that's what I mean. Like there was a lot of stuff that's just fairy tale logic. So I was just like, yeah, I'll go with it. Yeah. And it's like, kids aren't going to think of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're just like castle mine. Different. Yeah. No no interaction between the two. But yeah, I think it, it is a little bit of a class difference here. Yeah. I can't remember. Did the movie go into how the goblins came about? They didn't say specifically, but they made some mention of the goblins used to be more like people when they lived above ground. Yes. Yeah. So does that mean that they were people or are they just like another race of creatures that turned kind of monstrous when they went below ground? Well, what I understand is they, they were people basically, but then they went underground and they were driven underground, I believe. Okay. Well, I wondered, and maybe it's different in the book, but it seemed like if they were people, it seemed weird that none of them had more than one toe, except for the queen who had six toes for some reason, which was never explained. I kept waiting for that to be like a big reveal. Like I assumed that the queen was going to be revealed to be human. And that's why she had so many more toes than the others. Cause they made a big deal out of her having six toes. And then that went nowhere. And I was like, yeah, okay. that goes nowhere. <laughs> she just has six toes. She's, she's special. <laughs> So actually, the interesting thing is, in the book, the Goblin Prince is described as being the half-breed child of the Goblin King and a human woman. And the Goblin Queen is his stepmother. In the film, the hmm. Prince is entirely Goblin, and the Queen is his birth mother. Okay. So I don't know if they kind of like took that idea, and maybe for some reason they decided they wanted the Goblin Prince to be full Goblin, 
and maybe they were going to do that with the queen instead. And then for some reason they ended up not doing it at all, but the toes were left over. Who knows? It could be. Cause I thought that they were going to do something like that with the toe reveal, but then there wasn't yeah. really much more of a reveal other than the fact that they pulled off a shoe and there was six toes. <laughs> yeah. There's no explanation for it. She looks very goblin. Otherwise. Yeah. Did the prince remind you of anything? No. Why? He seemed like he was supposed to be modeled after like an 80s goth look. I can't I can't say I really noticed. Like I'm not an expert in 80s goth culture, but I've seen enough pictures that I just feel like the hair even though I don't think goths would have had pink hair, but just like the hair just seemed very goth. The cape, there was a skull on the cape. He just seemed like an 80s goth. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I'm kind of used to like 80s and 90s media having that kind of aesthetic for villains, I guess. Okay. So I never really associated it, but I, I don't know. It could be possible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, fun trivia. Uh, they apparently used to have media events in the U.S. with performers dressed as Irene, Curdy, and the Goblin Prince. Froglet. And okay. um, Froglip would have been in like this sculpted mask. There's pictures of a sculpted mask on uh, DeviantArt because the sculptor had pictures of it, but I've never seen pictures of the, of the events and questions. And I just huh. thought that was interesting. Like so, some kids must have been traumatized by this <laughs> somewhere. And we don't, you know, it's, it's like lost media in a sense. There's no pictures of it. <laughs> interesting. I want pictures. <laughs> Preferably, I like a video. Yeah. You would think that that would exist somewhere, but I don't know. It must exist on somebody's home video somewhere. They're just like, I don't know what the heck this is. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was an interesting tidbit. They did yeah. try to market it. <laughs> they tried. It they didn't seem to work the operative well. word, yeah. Well, anyways, Ludi ends up forbidding... Irene from leaving the castle the next day and she ends up discovering a magic door leading to the ghost of her great-great-grandmother. I love that door. I want it. When you said that you would have loved something like that as a kid, it reminded me of Back to the Secret Garden. The version of the Secret Garden I grew up with, I think it was 1991, and there was a secret door in there and I just thought that was the coolest idea. Like a secret door. It wasn't a castle, it was like a big mansion. But it was still a secret door that led through a tunnel through the mansion. And I just thought that was the coolest idea. That reminded me of this. Is that in the book? It's been forever since I've read Secret Garden. I'm not sure if it was in the book or not. It's been too long since I've actually read the book. Is that the live action version that everyone's seen? Or is that like a different version? There are several live action versions, but I think it's the one that most people think of. It was from 1991. And I know it's like the one that has the most 90s nostalgia. Okay. I need, to, I need to see that again. It's been a while. It's good. And I don't think I'm just saying that because I grew up with it. I think it is actually a good movie. <laughs> a lot of people would agree with you. But yeah, I think, um, especially in a lot of children's media, you get a lot of this secret door leading somewhere in, like mm -hmm. in, in a kid's room. Yeah. In the book, maybe you don't even remember, like her great-great-grandmother says that something like she's not exactly a ghost she's sort of magic yeah is it actually her 
actual great great grandmother? Like, did she die and come back as a ghost, or it's vague in the book too? Um, from what I understand, it is it is her great grandmother, but there's some kind of implication that she's changed in some way. She like Gandalf the White. <laughs> I, I she guess. just comes back. Yeah. She's not really dead. She just comes back, and now she's more magic than before. If I remember in the book, um, Irene actually mentions to the king that she's named, you know, like her great great grandmother, who she's named after, and that the king verifies that yes, she, you are named after your, you know, great 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 grandmother or whatever, and that she did used to live in like that tower. Though he doesn't necessarily like, she doesn't. I don't remember if she tells him that she met him because I think at that point she was still upset by Ludi not believing her. Mm. But anyway, so there. It's verified in the book that she's not making, like, she's not, like, imagining this. This is her great-grandmother. But she's also, like, something a bit, I don't know. She's a ghost, but also, like, isn't? You know what I mean? It's uh, it's magic. Yeah, that's yeah, up. Yeah, that, that's one of the things where I was just like, it's fairy tale logic. I'm just going to go with it. I kind of enjoy how vague it is in a way, though. Like, I think we like to put a lot of labels on things sometimes, especially in stories. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's kind of nice to have a little bit of a mystery, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing else I remember from the book is um, her great grandmother changes her like appearance, like age-wise, whenever like depending on how she feels. Hmm. So like sometimes she looks old, sometimes she looks young. That kind of reminds me of the book version of what we know as the Blue Fairy from Pinocchio. I'm like in Pinocchio mindset right now because I'm doing so many versions of Pinocchio. But oh, the, blue, yeah. the the fairy in the book, when Pinocchio first meets her, she's basically a young girl. But then yeah. later on, when he finds her again, she's basically becomes his mother because she's much older. She's like a thousand years old anyway. Yeah. But... At some point, they call each other like brother and sister. And then later, it's it's mother. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. It, it's pretty confusing. Yeah. So how do you feel if your great great grandmother was living in a secret room? in your room i don't know (laughs) (laughs) you you wouldn't be like uh i'm gonna call the police (laughs) well i don't know that i would call the police anyways because i would think that they would be thinking that i was crazy and would probably haul me off somewhere (laughs) (laughs) this guy is seeing somebody who died a hundred years ago we better do something no i I think it's i I would i probably think it was a homeless person (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess maybe if they weren't shimmery like her great great grandmother was yeah well i mean well she's obviously magic yeah things are changing flowers are appearing her hair's flowing she's magic obviously if if somebody started doing that i probably wouldn't think they were homeless i'd probably think i was having like i don't know like a like a trip. <laughs> like I got drugged somehow. <laughs> I'm ill. I have a fever. I'm seeing things. I'm ill. I yeah, I need to go to the hospital or something. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and then I come back and they're still there. I'm like, okay, well now we have to fight because this is my secret room. <laughs> <laughs> Are you enjoying this episode of the podcast? Do you want more content from me and my friends on the iHeartMovies Podcast Network? 
We have exclusive bonus episodes, extended episodes, preview content, and more waiting for you right now on Patreon. Patrons also get the chance to request episodes, so if you want me to cover something I've never done before, sign up and let me know. Well, anyways, the the grandmother is there because she's telling her that she's going to be there to help her, and she's basically warning her that she's soon going to be in grave danger. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think I feel like I would be a bit more terrified if someone told me that. But she's so calm. Yeah, yeah. And she got pretty flowers, pretty dress. You know, if someone's pretty. Everything's fine. That's what I've learned from children's movies. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> Just like real life. Yeah. This also led to a scene that I thought was kind of hilarious. I think this is where Sarah quoted the great Muppet caper because Ludie's looking all over the place for her and she just goes, poor girl, and what with her mother dead? <laughs> <laughs> just randomly. <laughs> Yeah, I forget how weird Ludie is. And during all this, you also have Curdy working with his father in the mines, and he ends up falling into the realm of the goblins and ends up like getting taken by mistake in a goblin mining cart. Yeah, with Lump and Gump. Yes. Or Glump. Yeah. Yes. And th- this is where he overhears they have this evil plan where they're going to flood. The uh, people. Yeah. I, I, my question is, and this is another thing where I just told myself, fairy tale logic, go with it. How are they <laughs> flooding the above ground with the below ground water? Because they, they can't like pump it up. Like, I don't understand how the flooding works. It's a good question, <laughs> um, especially in the movie. I believe the castle kind of is depicted kind of like on a hillside, right? Yeah. Or something. And that's what I was thinking too. But every time that they go to the the goblin place, it shows them going down, like down, down, down. Yeah. So I was just confused. I have no idea. Any miners in the chat can you help us out? <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't think there's any logic behind it. My, I've been playing Minecraft lately, and my brain's just going, "Oh, they're putting soul sand underneath. That must be it." Like. <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene is also where you learn about the goblins and i I realized on my second watch that mump and glump were also basically looty in that they were just plot exposition because watching it through i realized oh they're just giving him all the information he needs to defeat them because they're talking about how the prince would yeah, he would torture them by stomping on their feet because they only have one toe for some reason and it's very sensitive. Which you'd think they would wear shoes. <laughs> like, only the queen wears shoes for some reason. Yeah, that is also another weird thing. Is at first you think, oh, maybe she wears shoes because it's like a power... Like, none of you guys can wear shoes. Right? It could be. I'm in, yeah. But then it turns out she's just trying to hide her toes. Which I still have questions about, but whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know if you'll ever get answers to those questions. You probably might. not. <laughs> you're probably going to die with them. Like, you'll be on your deathbed surrounded by all your descendants. And they go, I hope you had a, you know, it was a great life, right? You, every, you did everything you wanted. And you'd be like, 
I never got the answer to why the Goblin Queen had six toes. <laughs> it's all I ever <laughs> wanted to know. <laughs> anyway, so I, I don't remember it ever being explained in the book either. Did she have six toes in the book? I don't remember that. I feel like that would be mentioned, but I don't know. I, I remember. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm annoyed with myself because I'm remembering like something from the book really well and other things not at all. I, but I guess that's how it goes when it's been a while. Mm, yeah. But as a kid, I always assumed it was a power dynamic thing. It probably was. They just didn't explain it. Yeah. The one thing they didn't explain in their plot exposition characters. They won. The only thing. Everything else <laughs> was perfectly explained. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the how the water got up. Yes. Yes. Well, eventually, Curdy escapes and warns his father, and Irene warns her father, so the kingdom is now on goblin alert. But they weren't alert enough because Irene is attacked by a goblin cat. Oh, yeah. That was and weird. I, it, it was also weird, like, why why is she saved by this random mouse? Like, where does this mouse come from, and why is it guarding her door? Like, why isn't a human guarding her? <laughs> Because they're stupid. This is a kingdom <laughs> of stupid people. It, the mouse is just like, I know these people are stupid. I'm going to have to take care of things myself. <laughs> but then you don't really see the mouse again. He's kind of just here for the scene, I think. Yeah, it's a bit weird. It would have been nice to see him a bit more. I also didn't really understand what this goblin cat was doing. Because like he's fighting with her cat and this mouse. And like he winds up on her bed at some point and i thought he was dead because he's just lying there with this stricken look on his face for the longest time i was like did they kill him but, <laughs> but then he's not dead and i was like well why is he just lying there <laughs> <laughs> for the jump scare of course uh, yeah i that was a strange scene by the way in the book i do remember that um turnip is not a thing in the book like she doesn't have a cat okay i wondered so because yeah. when I asked Sarah about the book, she said the main thing that she remembers about the book was a cat with sticks for legs. I was like, well, that one has actual legs. So she didn't really remember what she was thinking of. It's probably one of the goblin pets. Probably. Which it could have been, been maybe that. this thing. Yeah. Because uh, the, the goblins do have pets. Yes. Yeah. Including a thing that I thought was like a dinosaur, except it looked like it had an old man face and alien antennas. Oh, like the snailish thing? Yeah, I don't know what it was. Yeah, I don't think that has a name. Uh, when I was looking up information right before this, uh, I saw a note, somebody made differences between the movie and the book, and they, they have, this creature is not in the book. And I was like, oh, thanks. Who could have known? <laughs> it also made a very strange noise. Oh, yeah, I did. I remember that. The underground is so like kind of echoey, and I, I really like the fully rock sound effects. So mm -hmm. I enjoy that, and the cart like going around tunnel and the weird sounds that <laughs> the thing makes. Yeah, yeah, it kind of makes a gurgling noise. Yeah, and then we never see him again. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. Not after Curdy goes back there a second time. Yeah. Yeah, during this attack, Curdy goes down to the Goblin Kingdom by himself for some reason, which seems like the dumbest idea, because his dad was planning on going, 
And he was like, well, he doesn't know the way. I better just go. And I'm just like, okay, child, you're obviously in for danger here. Oh, you know, if I if I remember correctly, I think he's even like even stupider, stupider, braver in the book. Like, <laughs> for instance, um, when he goes into the Goblin Kingdom the first time, it's by accident in the movie, right? He doesn't really mean to go. He just kind of ends up there. Yeah. But in the in the book, he's like, I'm going to go. I want to know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, so he's, he's uh, more stupid in the book, but also more brave. I suppose it depends on how old he is supposed to be because if he's supposed to be like eight maybe i could see that because like maybe an eight-year-old wouldn't really understand the danger because they did seem like like they were supposed to be pretty young i think irene is supposed to be eight and curdy is supposed to be a little bit older okay they didn't seem like typical disney princess like 16 they seemed like they were little kids yeah they're kids that's another thing i enjoy about the movie is that they're kids yeah, they're actual kids rather than teenagers or adults in the Disney movies. Yeah. A lot of those fairy tales, they are kids in the originals, but then they age them up for Disney. Which one are you thinking of? Well, Snow White for sure. I think she was like 12 maybe in the original, wasn't she? 10 or 12? I don't think um, she was a teenager. I mean, that probably depends on what you define as the original. That's true. There's so many yeah. quote-unquote originals. And so many people call the Grimm stories the original, and they they were not the original. Yeah, yeah. Well, that said, the Snow White, the Disney Snow White's supposed to be like 14. From yeah, I understand. she doesn't look very 14, though. She, she she's looks like, like a child and a woman at the same time. She kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually, Curdy finds out after eavesdropping on the royal family, that they have this plan to abduct the princess and marry her off to Froglip so that the humans will then be ruled by the goblins because if they merge the kingdoms, then everybody can join, even though they they want to like turn them into slaves, I think. I'm not sure exactly what they want to do with them, maybe mine stuff, but they're, they've destroyed the mine or they're going to destroy the mine, so I, I don't really know what the goblins are thinking yeah it's not really explained very well what they're expecting especially like they keep going on about how ugly the sun people are (laughs) so it's like why bother like having him marry her when he's going to be stuck with her as a wife presumably like what's the point they also talk about i think the humans becoming more like them if they're put underground too yeah so I don't know. Maybe they think that she'll eventually be beautiful in their eyes. <laughs> maybe, I guess. Seems like that would be a generational thing, though, I would assume. But I don't know. It, it's very tale logic. Yes. At some point in here, Curdy ends up caught and thrown in a dungeon. But you also have Irene, after her midnight attack, dreaming of her grandmother. Actually, there were two scenes, and I didn't really understand why the two scenes were split up, because she met her grandmother in the wall again, and she gave her a magic thread and a ring so that she could follow it and find her own magic. But then she goes back to bed, and then she dreams of her grandmother telling her to follow the string. I was like, why didn't she just combine these two scenes and the grandmother tell her to follow the string now instead of making her go back to bed and then dream of her and then go out again? It seemed like... I don't know. They needed to stretch for time, but it doesn't matter. It's just me yeah. being. Well, is it like supposed to be a time skip? And for some reason, it's, I don't know. 
I think it's still the same night. Is it? I don't think there was a day in between any of this because this is the scenes in between her meeting her grandmother the first time and then having the dream was Curdy going down into the dungeon and overhearing the plan and then getting caught. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like a day scene in between that. So I think it was the same night. Yeah. And if it was supposed to be a time skip, then they just didn't do it very well. Communicate it. Yeah. But again, fairy tale logic. I'll just go with it. When I was a kid, I know that it was a ball of yarn, but I really thought it was, I really felt like it was a ball when I was a kid and I wanted it. (laughs) Very sparkly ball. It looked pretty. I wanted to bounce it, bring it to the playground, have all the other kids be jealous, you know. <laughs> Witness my sparkly ball and be jealous. Yeah. It connects to my ring, so I could bring it out anytime I want. You know, can't steal it. I'll find it. I got a threat to it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I also really always like the idea. I okay, I always like the idea of magic jewelry. So you give mm-hmm. me a ring that like can leave me places. I like it. <laughs> my- I would love to have a ring that takes me home. My far too logical brain was like, so if this magical ring is connected to this string at all times, is she just trailing string everywhere? And why doesn't somebody trip over it? <laughs> yeah, you're too logical, man. This is fairy tale. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she follows the string and she ends up finding Curdy in the dungeon. There's like a back entrance or something. So she breaks him out. And for some reason, instead of escaping, they decide to go deeper. I was like, just run away. <laughs> Get out of there. You already know what you need to know. Isn't she following the the string? Oh, she might have been. Yeah. <laughs> the she's string. Like, we gotta go this way. And he's <laughs> like, Yeah, and he's like, No. And she's like, the thread's going in this way. Listen to the magic string, no questions asked. Yeah, he can't even see the thread. He's <laughs> like, Oh, I wanna follow this crazy princess. <laughs> Yeah, there's this element that Irene is playing pretend. It, it goes along with the, the honesty theme, right? I suppose. Yeah. Not having read the book, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I suppose it would. I just, I don't, if the string was leading her deeper, did they find out something more? Because like the only thing that really was revealed after that was that the queen has six toes because they like sneak into their bedroom and take off one of her shoes. Is that the only thing that they needed to know? And then turned out they didn't really even need to know that. Um, that's a good question. It doesn't really affect the plot, does it? No. No. <laughs> that's why it was one of my main questions. Why does this thing have six toes? <laughs> yeah, because you think, okay, they yeah they're following the thread, so it yeah it must be like you think it must be an important plot point, mm-hmm. but no, it, it's not really. Well, I guess. Is it the plot point that the toe, if a toe is sensitive, then the queen having six toes means she's extra sensitive? Is that maybe? But I feel like there was a scene later on where they stomped on her toes and she didn't react that much. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, even if that was the case, it does it really make that big of a difference? I mean, I guess Curdy tries harder to break her shoe later. Whereas you could argue maybe yeah. if he didn't know that, he probably wouldn't have tried to break her shoe. Yeah, I don't know. That also leads to another question of why did she never have two shoes again? Because like they didn't take the shoe with them, but she never put it back on when she got out of bed, and then she just went up to invade and only had one shoe. I'm sure she must have a closet. 
I'm just I'm just saying there's a lot of things about this queen's foot that I I'm, I have questions about. <laughs> no, that, no, I never I never noticed that as a kid. I'm sure it probably was one of those things where it had a point and then there was a scene probably cut for time and then it doesn't make sense anymore. It might be. Yeah, that's not, that's something that kind of saddens me about this movie is that there's go, there's going to be so many details about this production that I'm never going to know. Mm-hmm. And I would I would actually really like to know. Well, the kids eventually escape, and Irene tries to take him back to meet her grandmother, but she doesn't appear. So they have a argument about it, and he leaves to go warn everyone. Except he ends up startling the guards, and they hurt him. Yeah. Like I, at first I wasn't sure what happened, but then like this thing appears on his leg. I was like, "Is that supposed to be blood?" Yeah, I think it is. And then, did they just throw him in a dungeon? Yes. <laughs> I was like, "Why? Why did these two people think that throwing him in a dungeon is going to do anything? Are they like trying to hide the evidence, or are they actually trying to help him?" I was confused, like why he ended up in a dungeon. I think it's both in a sense. I guess the idea is that they wanted him to get better first, or they didn't know why he was there. I don't know. It's it's very fairy tale logic. Yeah, I don't remember if that's explained in the book or not. Because I believe the same thing does happen. Because he believes Irene when he's healed. I think. Yeah, I mean, I know that that's why that part of it happened. It's just the guards. Yeah, like putting him in the dungeon. That's what I'm confused about. It doesn't seem like a very good idea to just put somebody in a dungeon without getting a doctor. I guess they didn't know about infection back then. I, I suppose. <laughs> there's just like, this seems as good a place as any for a sick person to be. There's some hay. You just lie on yeah. that and get better. Yeah. But during this, Irene decides that her grandmother wasn't appearing because she wants her to think for herself. So she goes back to Ludi and demands that she fetch her father like, she's, like, actually being demanding and, like, a tyrant queen. <laughs> she actually has, like, a little throne in her room. Yeah. yeah. Like, she, she goes up and sits on the throne to give Ludi orders. Which is, like, <laughs> why does she have a throne in her room? Practice. <laughs> Practice. <laughs> but, you know, I, Irene, I would, too, you know. <laughs> if I was a princess, I'd have a, a throne in my playroom, yeah, my nursery. <laughs> Why not? So Ludi gets her father. She warns him about the goblins. They double the guard. But for some reason, after this, Ludi goes and gets drunk. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know who this other guy is. I don't know if it's her husband or what. But she and this guy are in the wine cellar getting drunk. And then the goblins come up through the floor <laughs> and freak yeah. her out. <laughs> Can you imagine being drunk and then goblins come out of the floor? <laughs> that would be enough to cure someone's alcoholism, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just be like, I'm swearing off the drink. I've seen things. I, I never had the impression that was her husband, but I, I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of. It didn't say that. I just thought, yeah. unless it's just some random other servant that she's friends with. I don't know. Yeah, I just thought it was some random other servant. I don't think it's ever said, but... I mean, it probably is, because otherwise I would think that a husband would have been mentioned. Yeah. 
I think it'd be a bit more obvious. Probably, yeah. But anyways, while this is happening, Curdy is awoken by her grandmother's ghost. I mean, Curdy is awoken by Irene's grandmother's ghost. Gotcha. (laughs) And she heals his injuries. So now he believes because he actually saw her. And he runs off to fight the goblins, unaware that he's now being followed by Prince Froglip. And he goes to tell Irene to lock herself in her room, but it's too late. Somehow Froglip snuck in while they were talking. Well, they, yeah. <laughs> okay. He's tall and ugly, and they you don't think, notice him. Yeah, you'd think they would have seen him, but whatever. Fairytale logic. Yeah. So as soon as Curdy's gone, she's captured. So he runs around the castle telling everyone how to defeat the goblins. They have to stomp on their feet and sing. So now everybody's singing the 80s power ballad. (laughs) You know, the real real reason why it works against the goblins is because they're sick of that song. (laughs) It could be. It's the only one they know. (laughs) Yeah, they're just like, something else, something else, please. (laughs) The goblins retreat. But they go back and flood the mine. And I guess the miners must have been warned about the coming flood because they've built this wall. But for the amount of water that's coming, it doesn't look like the wall should be enough. Plus, the water somehow like goes up. You would think the water would go over this wall before it would go up. Like, I I don't understand the physics of this movie. This is where I was just like, okay, whatever. It's a fairy tale. And also another thing that I noticed with this scene was like the miners all brace themselves against the wall. And I was like, this will do literally nothing if this wall comes down. (laughs) (laughs) Hurdy eventually finds Irene being held by Froglip and they all end up falling into the floodwaters and going down this river. But Curdy manages to rescue Irene and kick Froglip over a waterfall, presumably killing him. Oh, yeah. And then they all sing the 80s power ballad in victory. (laughs) And hopefully they have castle insurance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, it's going to smell real moldy after a while. (laughs) (laughs) They also, like, realized how, like, I don't know, I always got the impression as a kid, like, her dad didn't live there or something. I don't really know what was up with the dad. I think maybe he was just traveling for kingly duties. I don't know. Maybe. But it does seem like weirdly, like, really secluded. And you'd think there'd be, like, more of a court if he lived there, like, full time. Yeah, I don't know. Which makes me think it's kind of like like a holiday home, something that he's let his daughter live at because he thinks she might be safer there. Safer above the mines. (laughs) Yeah. Little does he know. Anyway, I hope you, uh, even if you didn't exactly enjoy it, I hope you found it interesting. Yeah. Like I said, it was it was fine. I didn't <laughs> love it. I, I don't know that I would watch it again, but I'm glad I watched it. I like watching old, obscure movies that most people have never heard of. Like, that's the point of the podcast sometimes. <laughs> well, it will be the point of my new podcast, like finding things that nobody's ever heard of in addition to the ones everybody knows about because i mean not that i loved this one but sometimes you find a hidden gem it's just interesting to see what other things are out there beyond just disney pixar dreamworks yeah and i actually now i'm really interested to check out more of the hungarian film studios animations yeah so i may do that yeah Yeah. i'll let you know if i see anything good 
Yeah. If you do, we'll have to do another one, maybe. I know yeah. there's there's other things, like other Eastern European versions of things. There's like a Winnie the Pooh from, well, I don't know. I was going to say Latvia, but I think that's wrong. Mm. I, oh, I, I know, know there's, there's a Winnie the Temple Pooh. version of Princess and the Frog. I haven't seen it yet, though. Oh, that's I know. Princess and the Frog, Princess and the Goblin. Yeah. Oh, that's even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was back. That was. Uh, when I say Shirley Temple, I don't mean when she was a kid. Um, it was when she was an adult and she had like her own TV show. Oh, the fairy tale theater or whatever it was called. Yeah, storybook theater something or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's still yeah. interesting. Maybe Princess and the Goblin will have to get a mini series on every version ever. <laughs> <laughs> All two it versions. Probably would, it probably would be a short version. Yeah, I, yeah. There, I can't think of any other versions there are. But if you did want to check out another version of it, but there's one. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mention to you, but the VHS tape, um, and this is very iconic for a lot of people who grew up with this movie, uh, in the U.S. at least. Uh, so do you remember phone cards being like a really big thing in the 90s? Like prepaid about- phone calls, cards. Like we would go on a pay phone and you'd have this phone card with like a number. So it was prepaid already. I think it- I vaguely know what you're talking about, but I would never have used one myself so i wouldn't have known what they were or how to use them yeah they were kind of like a gimmick at the time Mm -hmm. so the princess and the goblin had a very strange opening to the vhs where it had a live actress playing irene's great grandmother and she has a phone card and she's basically advertising the princess and the goblin phone card so when you're away from home like you're separated from your parents you can find a payphone and you could call, and I guess it would somehow, like, th- that's the thing. I don't know exactly how this would have worked, but I guess it would have, like, let you contact your parents somehow. But uh, the main thing was, like, it would have, like, you would have listened to messages of Irene and Curdy and the great-grandmother talking to you, I guess, to keep you calm while you were lost. I don't know. It was a very strange concept. This is like the weirdest tie-in merch ever. Yeah, it really is. And I, honestly, this reminds me, I want to get the phone card. I never had it as a kid. I, I kind of want to get it now. But it's, <laughs> it's like lost media, whatever these messages were, right? Yeah. Because as far as uh, I never found anybody talk about like actually calling the number. Just everyone remembers the, the weird commercial. So that's that's also very, <laughs> it, it's a very strange tie-in. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, I don't really understand this film's legal status, to be honest. Like, I've had a, my own copy of the Laserdisc on YouTube, like, for ages now with no takedowns. Like, finding it on DVD can be rather expensive. And to be honest, the DVD quality isn't very good. It's just a rip of the VHS. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, actual transfer, like, a retransfer of the film. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, amazingly, there's somebody on eBay once in a while, they have a copy of the film like the film reel and um it's gorgeous i want it so badly (laughs) but it's so expensive and then i don't have the equipment to transfer it yeah but anyway if anyone does um look that up it's on ebay (laughs) Hmm. and that's it that's all my notes okay well i suppose (laughs) We probably could end this one there. It's a strange note to end it on, but (laughs) 
It's a strange movie, so why not a tie-in phone card that people may or may not have used to reunite them with parents when they're lost? (laughs) (laughs) It's very mysterious, just like the great-grandmother herself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess until the next episode, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Uh, I'm Phantomwise on YouTube, and I was still showing off Phantomwise on Tumblr. Okay. Oh, and I have this movie uh, on my other YouTube channel, Love Gift of the Fairy Tale. It's from the Laserdisc, <laughs> if you want to see that. It's the best quality version of currently available. Check it okay. out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we will probably see you in a month or two for another episode. We've got a couple more things in the works, so we'll see you then. All right, it'll be fun. Thanks for checking it out. Thanks for listening to the Disney Movie Marathon. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to our YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well, and if you want more content from us, check out one of the other podcasts in the iHeartMovies podcast network, or check out my brand new Patreon. My link tree, as well as any other relevant links, will be in the description. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode, so thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.